0: I'm Josh Swartz. And I'm William Millingworth. Host of the High Tech Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back. Steve here, and today I'm talking with Miriam Plotinsky. She is an instructional specialist and the author of the book, Lead Like a Teacher, How to Elevate Expertise in Your School. What an amazing book. You are going to learn so much. You're going to love this episode. Thanks for listening. And, and, and by the way, before you go, it'd be so cool if you you know, went to my website, and uh, it's so simple to leave a review there. All you got to do is go to stephenmoletto.com slash reviews, and... Uh, you go in there and there's a little drop-down menu and a little place where you can review the podcast just from there. And it'd be so cool if you said some nice words and uh, maybe you gave me five stars. What do you think? Hmm, that'd be so nice. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing. And enjoy the show. It's the education podcast, your favorite show. With lots of groovy guests and they share what they know. So crank it up to 10 and let your neighbors know. that here's another show with Dr. Steve oh Teaching, learning, leading K-12 teaching, learning, leading. K-12 teaching, learning, leading. K-12 ah ah with dot Moleto. Miriam Platinsky is an author and instructional specialist who addresses challenges in both teaching and leading across schools with a wide range of differentiated needs. A strong advocate for student-centered learning, she provides coaching and professional development for teachers and administrators. Her first book, Teach More, Hover Less, How to Stop Micromanaging Your Secondary Classroom, is a practical guide to a student-centered instructional approach that removes the necessity of teacher micromanagement. Her second book, Lead Like a Teacher, How to Elevate Expertise in Your School, which just recently came out, addresses how to close the empathy gap between administrators and teachers by bringing forth the instructional expertise and perspectives of teachers. Her third book, Writing Their Future Selves, Instructional Strategies to Affirm Student Identity, is slated for late 2023, so not too far down the road. Miriam writes for a wide array of education publications and is a regular guest on international podcasts. She is also a National Board Certified Teacher with additional certification in administration and supervision. Our focus today is Miriam's recent book, Lead Like a Teacher, How to Elevate Expertise in Your School. Miriam, thanks for joining me today. Great to have you back on the show and say hi to everyone.
1: Hi, and it's great to be here.
0: Well, cool to have you here again. And uh, I got to tell you, love this book. Um, I I read in your bio that you provide coaching and professional development for teachers and administrators. Uh, Could you talk a little about something that you have learned as a coach that you always want to remember?
1: I've learned a lot of things, but I think one of the big ones is that I'm just one very small piece of a very complex puzzle. So whenever I'm walking into a school or any kind of culture or environment as a visitor, which is typically what I do, I'm really more there to try to get a perspective that somebody on the outside might have and to see things that might not be as obvious to someone who's closer. And so it's really about fitting those pieces together and not so much about me acting in any kind of of capacity as the ultimate expert, the ultimate authority, because that's not how I think of myself at all don't think that coaches should think of themselves that way. It's always a collaborative stance of what does each individual person factor, whatever you have in front of you bring into this equation.
0: That is so awesome. And you know, it's funny. Uh, a lot of times I ask guests questions like, you know, if you could go back in time because it's the longer we're, we do this stuff, there's a, there's a payoff with experience <laughs> that helps us kind of shortcut things. Do you have something like that that you wish you'd known when you started that you've kind of learned over time?
1: I think when I started, I remember looking at uh, older more experienced teachers because I started when I was a baby. I was, I was 21 years old and so they were all older, everybody. Nice. And my students were four years younger than I was. (laughs) And I remember looking at them and thinking, wow, they've got it all figured out. They know exactly how to do this job. They seemed so, so comfortable in their own skin and so relaxed and, and i think what i learned over time was that first of all that was just a wonderful facade that that everybody carries with them uh, when they have a certain amount of experience but also the best teachers and the best administrators i think probably the best anybody of anything they do understands that they don't have it figured out and that we're all in a space where we have to not not be comfortable because we haven't figured out but be comfortable because we know that we have it and that we have so much left to learn and to embrace that as opposed to being goal oriented. Like I have to get there because we all know that goals are tricky. Once we get there, there's someplace else we need to go or we need to keep whatever it is that we have. And that, that's a scary way to live. Like, Oh, you know, my school had the highest achieving whatever this year. Okay. Now I'm terrified of next year. So we have to think of it more as a process.
0: I like that. I like that. That's that's, uh, yes. (laughs) Completely terrified of next year. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it is something. It's a process. You're learning, and I and I and I love that too because it's the, the whole idea of you know looking and thinking that there is such a thing as having it figured out. You know that's one of those because when you get there, you've realized there is no figuring it out. And there's no pinnacle. It's like I've not reached the mountaintop. What happened? <laughs> So.
1: Yeah, it's a movable point.
0: Yes, that's not fair. It's not supposed to be that way. You're supposed no. To and that. progress
1: is not linear.
0: <laughs> you got that right. Uh, so today we're focused on your book, "Lead Like a Teacher: How to Elevate Expertise in Your School." Why'd you write this book?
1: I spent a lot of time in different conference rooms. Is really what it comes down to. Because when you walk into a school and you're going in there as a coach or a specialist or someone who wants to help them with something, you typically go into a conference room. And you sit down and you talk about whatever it is you're trying to troubleshoot. And sometimes it's a giant laundry list of things, which is a problem unto itself, because you can't fix a giant laundry list of things. And sometimes it's, it's a little bit more focused. But what I noticed over time was that really two things began to appear. First of all, there was rarely a teacher who appeared in that space. And second, when a teacher did appear in that space, it seemed to be a happier place. You know, you walk into a school, and, and this is going to sound a little bit, uh, I don't know, but like you can feel the, you can feel the culture when you walk in, you can feel a place that's not feeling so good about itself, you can feel a place that is more functional, and I know that when someone like me walks in, sometimes there's like a dog and pony show that also occurs, it let's all, everyone's snap to attention, but you can tell the difference between genuine usually and not genuine. Uh, so in this case, I, I remember people would talk about, oh, you know, teachers will do this, and they need this, and they need that, and it was a they. And I was thinking, but if there were a teacher at this table, would they agree with you? And where's the we? And are we coming together to build something? Or is this a box that we're checking off for? Because, you know, schools have these these things they do every year with theme. Like, this is our theme this year. We're going to work on this. And then the next year, they're working on something else. And I don't know how much of that sometimes is surface level. Like, we feel like we need to do it, and how much of it is really based on on something that is perceived as an actual need. So I wrote it because. I really felt like teachers were not often enough being called to that conference table or whatever space it is where the decisions are made. And you had people saying things like, Oh, well they're invited whenever they want, but are they really going to show up? Cause they know they're not really invited. They might be technically invited, but they know they're not welcome. So that, that was one of the biggest motivators for getting this started.
0: I love that. This is, you know, it's uh, especially the commentary about the, the, they, um, I was on a committee a long time ago as an assistant principal and it was for certification of the, uh, of the school and stuff like this for it to receive its, uh, um, oh my gosh, I can't believe I can't think of the word. I have to edit this. What word am I looking for when you get your
1: accreditation?
0: Ah, thank you. Accreditation. Yes. <laughs> thank you. Oh, oh my gosh. You know, so I, I, I was on this committee at this school where, um, they divided up. It's very large faculty. It had just under 200 um, staff that included all the teachers, administration and, um, and office staff, everybody. And they, uh, we were, we were supposed to, uh, they, they broke up the school into all these different uh, committees. And I was on the committee for mission and vision of the school. Right. And, and, uh, and there was like 33 of us in this group. All right. There was, it was a, it was a good chunk, including the principal. And uh, I'm the only other administrator on there. And, and we're waiting and um, he's not there and he's not there. And they started looking at me and saying, you know, is this like college where if you, know, you wait like 15 minutes, if they have a doctorate, you have to wait like 20. And I I said, no, 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 we're, we got to wait because we know he's in the building. And we, you know, well, eventually what happens is he comes in, he goes, I got it. I got it. Uh, here's here's what the mission and this is what the vision is going to be. And he he had created his own little printed out folder uh, you know like a like a brochure and he said what do you think what do you think and they all looked at me like i <laughs> what, what and you know kind of like if you've ever seen like uh The Shrek movies with the with Puss in Boots, you know, the eye thing where he can make his eyes look like puppy dog eyes, (laughs) the the cat can, and and they're all looking at me like, "Please, we'd like to go home," you know. And and, because uh, why are they there? Exactly, it's like we're not here for any reason. And so I said, "Yeah, it sounds great." And he said, "Oh, super! So you guys can all go home now." And uh,
1: (laughs) that was the well. That's a masterclass in what not to do.
0: Yes, exactly. And I tell that story because you know it's like. Uh, it, it was funny because we all came that day expecting that we were going to have some role in this and I think sometimes going back to what you're talking about is that we're you know suddenly we were the day you know it's like and so all of us have experienced that at some time where it's like yeah yeah yeah, yeah you're we want, I want your ideas but you know I I've, I've got the idea
1: so I Well but that's pretty pervasive I I remember um you know, I was talking to a friend who teaches at an independent school, and he was saying they had a new, like, head of school come in. And it took a year for the head of school to establish a new mission and vision. And I'm thinking a mission and vision should not be about who's in charge of the school. Like, it shouldn't be about the, the top most administrator. It really is about a lot of people. Now, maybe 30 is too many cooks in a kitchen to develop anything productively, at least the way that that was organized, especially if nobody can move forward unless the one person is there who, whose opinion counts. But wow. I mean it's it's not that's not what a mission or a vision is. It's it's supposed to be a shared enterprise.
0: That it that it is. And it's kind of funny, but just know that you brought back these memories as I was reading as I was reading your book, especially in the beginning, because I could do I could do a whole podcast on just what I'm about to ask you about, which is, you know, in the beginning of Lead Like a Teacher, you have a short segment titled Shared Purpose. Could you explain why you included this segment? It should be
1: obvious, but I don't think it is that unless everybody's on your bus, you're not going anywhere. And I actually think um, there's a quote in this book that I love that actually is about buses um, from Maya Daughtery, who's one of the um, uh, one of the wise people that I that I love to have in my life. She said, and this is this is on page three, right under that shared purpose heading. The challenge is that even though we're on the same bus. We're all looking out different windows. It's the same landscape, but with different perspectives. The bus driver's job is to make it all fit together. And I love that. But the whole point is that we have to be on that bus. If I'm on a bus and you're on a train, it won't work.
0: That's so important right there, yes.
1: (laughs) Right, but you walk into a lot of schools and people are in all these different vehicles And, and, and they're pursuing their own agendas and what matters to them. And what happens is that it's a forest and trees approach. It it becomes for teachers, very details oriented. This is what I can control. My locus of control is my classroom, my students. That's where I'm going to have my domain because I don't have any influence over what happens out there. And when the administrator says, well, my locus of control is the whole building. And so I have this big picture perspective that you don't have, that's also true. Both are very important, but the issue is that neither person can clearly see what the other is doing in a
0: dysfunctional environment. I love that analogy, by the way, because one of the things that's going on here is that, because you always also have people that are like on motorcycles, you know, they're <laughs> zipping out of others, you know, it's like, ah, oh, get in my way, man. And then you got the big aircraft carrier that's, uh, you know, someone's put some wheels on and they're kind of floating down the hallway too. So it works really well. And uh, and I do think we forget that there's a reason why we're here together, not,
1: mm-hmm.
0: not in like isolated cubicles that are, away in other cities or something I, uh, yes that we share a common target that we do which is kids <laughs> which is kids yes and it should be yeah. just, just
1: just make sure we're talking about the same target it, it's kids we're, we're we're all there to help children and exactly. I think we forget that
0: I think we totally forget that I you know I got to say this before we go any further something that I really love about the formatting of this book is you include scenarios you don't just talk about the concept you tell us stories all right so uh why'd you do that why'd, why'd you end up including that
1: so first of all, I'm like a nonfiction writer with a fiction writer who's dying to get out of me. So I think that's part of it. Like, that's just like the selfish part of it. Um, these are composites. They are not real situations that happened. And as I explained at the beginning of the book, they are also exaggerated for the purpose of making a point. But the reason is that I feel like we can read the scenarios and we've been in these conversations, we've been in these situations, and I wanted to put people into every single kind of exemplification of both functional and dysfunctional administrator teacher relationships as they move through this book, because then there are tools right afterward that share a different way to be. And I think without the scenario, it wouldn't necessarily be as powerful. Plus, and this is again, sort of maybe a selfish thing, but when I read books, I like to be drawn in by stories. I feel like it makes the material a lot more approachable. So uh, since the start, then they like a teacher a lot more, and it's extending into my next books. And that's plural Um nice, the
0: nice, scenarios because nice. I have I have one coming out
1: in November, but I just started writing
0: a fourth. Wow, You're a machine man, <laughs> that's awesome! A
1: little, a little, a little
0: bit too much of a machine. Yeah, that's cool. You know, it's uh, well the stories are awesome because they really get there. And by the way, I have to tell you this because this is coming from you know, I'm a former assistant principal and a former principal. All right, so um, my feelings were not hurt, because, uh, but it's but what I love is that you put this little. You put this little asterisk in there, you know, kind of like the the fine print at the bottom a, on a commercial, and uh, it says it says, uh, you know, I mean well, all right. So, uh, <laughs> which I mean, it says more than that, but I that's what it, how I took it, and I said, yes, that's that's good.
1: That's good. I'm I'm relieved to be, honest, and I'm being completely genuine. I'm so relieved to hear you say that because I, I really I think that both teachers and administrators. Um, get an interesting treatment in these scenarios they're not always neither neither one is portrayed positively all the time um they're portrayed positively some of the time so i was hoping to be as even with that as i could but again like when you're trying to make a point you draw out those characteristics that are not necessarily always the best ones
0: Got that right, but you did a good job of it. It's kind of even there, and it's uh, if, if nothing else, uh, um, you know, it's I, I like that you said that, and it's right there. So uh, um, it, it says just, just just take it for what it what it is, and so it fits with the story. So move on. Right, okay. take it with love. You're right, exactly. Don't get your feelings hurt. We're good. <laughs> I like that. Um, sorry, I had to make sure I mentioned that because I thought that was cool. Uh, you know, in the second chapter called "Hiring for Success." you recall an interview that led to an offer, but you have never figured out what what you did right. <laughs> and I'm sorry to laugh, but I, I, I read this thing. And I read it over and over again because I'm like, understand what you're going through here. Could you share some thoughts about hiring?
1: It is such an opaque process, and it's usually one that is carried out so badly. I mean, we have these, we have these really important jobs that we are trying to get people to do. You know, teaching obviously is one of the most important jobs. You're going to be with children every day, carrying out whatever that mission and vision is and and helping them learn. And then, you know, for administrators, you're heading up these enormous, essentially, organizations. And then we get to district officials and superintendents, and sometimes they have these really Brief or dismissive interviews almost like where you you're asked a series of questions, it's it's one kind of thing that you're exhibiting. You're exhibiting your ability to think on your feet, maybe exemplify something here and there, or maybe you're just being charismatic or dynamic, but your charisma or your dynamism in that moment doesn't translate to the kind of job you're going to do. So, you know, one thing I talk about with hiring teachers, especially, but I believe it's true of hiring anybody, is try to get a little bit more information about how they would perform in that job. I think we hire the wrong people all the time because we're looking at the wrong things.
0: Oh, you're so right. It's uh, and this is such a powerful. It's, it's such a powerful chapter because we really do. I mean, and you bring the, those thoughts to light because sometimes we get in the focus of just to hurry up and get it done. All right, I got to fill a spot, and sometimes we bring all these people together because someone's making us bring all these people together, and so we make sure everyone's got to a- ask a question. I was in an interview like that one time. They had uh, 15 people in the interview team. And they each asked a question, but they told me we only have 30 minutes for the interview. And it's like, okay, I don't know about you guys, but I may be a history teacher, but I can do the math. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, just two minutes for each question, and I'm at 30 minutes already. That's that that's crazy. And But I didn't say that because I wanted a job, but hey.
1: Well, and it's possible that in that 30 minutes, if you did not answer all 15 questions, in other words, if you tried to go in depth on something, that you would be penalized. Maybe they were following a point system, a ranking system, and that would have worked against you. So instead of giving a few really good answers, you gave a ton of not so good answers or less good answers because of the constraints of the interview. That
0: makes no sense. Makes no sense whatsoever. And you're exactly right, because I was warned at the beginning. We only have 30 minutes. We stop at 30 minutes, so you do not have time to explain. Just go.
1: The the 30-minute panel interview is something in education that I've seen across districts across the country that people do. You sit down, you get a half hour. If there's time, you may or may not be allowed to ask questions at the end. To me, the question part is where I learn the most about a candidate. The kinds of questions they ask, what they want to know, that sometimes is the most revealing part of any interview, and we cut it off because we're trying to keep it fair, keep it equitable, make sure that everybody has the same experience. Well, that's not equity.
0: You got that right. You got that right. I, I got to tell you because what it brought back was the memory of this interview. This was mine because when you talk about I totally understood why I did not get this job, but uh, I I was uh, in Army training. I was an officer in the Army going through officer basic course, and I was I told my uh, um, instructor there, my uh, commander, I said, hey, my uh, um, girlfriend may give you a call because I'm trying to apply for these different teaching jobs. And he said, not a problem. Well, when we came, we, we went in the woods and we did this whole escape and evasion thing. So my point in telling you that is, there's no study in education, right? There's no, there's no talking about any of that stuff. I come out of the woods and he says, Hey, Hey LT, got to tell you something. And uh, so I go over to him and he says, uh, he says, I said, yes, sir. And he says, uh, you got to, uh, your, your girlfriend did call. And uh, I told her, just go ahead and make the appointment. And he said, so tomorrow you've got an interview <laughs> for a teaching job. And I'm like, what? And he goes, don't worry. It's all taken care of. I got you the furlough papers, everything's ready. And all you got to do is get your stuff together and get up there and he told me where it was. So I go there and what the guy really wanted was a, it was a middle school cheerleader um, sponsor, mm-hmm. not a, not a middle school cheerleader. He wanted a sponsor for the middle school cheerleaders, but he didn't tell anybody that question in the beginning. Remember I told you I'd been in the woods. They kept asking me questions that had things to do with stuff that I hadn't looked at <laughs> in six months. Um, the length of this training and, uh, uh, um, but it was just kind of funny because at the end he says, uh, I saw more of his backside. He was getting ready for a, some sort of a honors night or something like that. And uh, he was, he's literally was going through files and pulling stuff out and stuff like this. So I saw more of his backside. I'm looking straight at him and he's asking me some questions once in a while. And at the end, he finally said, uh, tell me what you know about cheerleaders. (laughs) Well, that was random. Okay. Uh, And and then he, then he was more specific. You want to be a cheerleading coach? And I said, whatever I said, didn't get me the job. (laughs) I was not interested in that whatsoever. It wasn't your path.
1: Whatever yeah. happened, it wasn't what was meant to happen.
0: Was exactly, and uh, very glad, by the way. But the point is is that, um, you know, when, when I was reading this, I think about all the different times when, you know, maybe I've hurried up and done something, or I should have taken some different amount of time, or it's been done to me. My all-time favorite one was I was interviewing for principal jobs. And after the commit, well, it was that one with the 15 people, because um, I had two with them, they they called me in for one, and then they you know said, "What you didn't get that one? Let's we got another school, and he's a principal." And so they called me in for that one. Both of them at the end of it, they told you that uh, the superintendent wants to meet every candidate that comes in. So I thought that was cool. So after you got meeting here, you're getting ready to meet with the superintendent. I don't know if you've ever seen Willy Wonka from uh, Willy Wonka the Chocolate Factory from the 70s or right? the 70s version with Gene Wilder. <laughs> Are you kidding?
1: That's, that's the only one that's legitimate. Thank you opinion. very
0: much. I agree with you. And <laughs> and what was awesome was that so there's a whole group of us that have gone through these 15 minute interviews. I mean, these 30 minute uh, 15 question interviews and uh, we're sitting there all looking at each other like, OK, so we were all the graduates of this. He comes out. The door opens. You know, we're all sitting there looking at this door. This giant door opens. He walks out. There's all he's missing was a purple suit. <laughs> and he says, hello. I'm glad you all interviewed with us. Uh, wish you the best of luck and uh, have a great day. And then the door's closed. And he went inside. We didn't meet with the superintendent. He kind of said hi. <laughs> so anyway.
1: You know, and I wonder about this. There's this um, misplaced sense of consequence that we see in um, in, in school districts, you know, as people move up into administration and maybe into higher positions than that, where there's this idea of, I am more important than you. So it's a privilege to see me and I'm not so accessible. And I I noticed it was much more prevalent, or it seems to be much more prevalent in secondary spaces than elementary spaces. I don't know why that is, it's a cultural thing. Um, But, you know, part of the empathy gap exists because administrators purposely keep themselves separate from teachers, not just physically, but emotionally and, you know, professionally and and job wise. And when that happens, you're not going to have the space that you want to have because there's going to be a lack of trust no matter what.
0: That's right on the money. Yes, you got that right. Uh, You know, uh, one of the things that uh, I got to Bring to note here is in chapter three titled instructional coaching uh, you say this one common barrier to implementing stronger coaching structures often lies in the intimidating nature of the pieces that go into helping teachers grow could you talk about this a little bit more in context and detail
1: you know if we had a coaching system that was really set up for the purpose of helping all teachers improve or even helping teachers and administrators better one another in a a collaborative stance, it would be a different story. But instructional coaching a lot of the time is reserved for teachers who are considered anywhere from mediocre to underperforming. And so we say we want to help your growth, but growth becomes a dirty word because growth really means or else. And the implication is if you don't grow and we don't have evidence that you're growing, you're gonna stop growing here and you're moving on so coaching becomes a threat and one thing that my chapter proposes is all sorts of different coaching structures that elevate the people in the building who know the most about instruction at that time and I would argue that as teachers and not administrators because administrators as good as they are and as long as they've taught they're not doing it anymore and you know, I, I don't wanna I don't wanna oversimplify this, but I there is an element of the, the longer you've been away from something, the less you understand about it, especially in a rapidly changing world like the one we are currently faced with.
0: You are so right. You know, it's it's funny because uh, I mean that's the power of instructional coaches is amazing with people who have been practicing and knowing and understanding and trying then to figure out what it is that the person may need some real help with. But I think a prime example of what you're talking about is a, yeah, not so many years ago, but uh, um, pre-COVID, <laughs> I feel like that should be have its own initials or something. Um, the uh, There's this word called differentiation that came out. And a lot of administrators would say, yeah, 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 that's good. So go do differentiation. <coughs> They had no clue what they're talking about. <laughs>
1: yeah, you, know. you don't you don't do differentiation. That's that's already a misuse of the word. And and you know, differentiation is is something that uh, teachers are doing more and more of because student needs are are highly varied, and it's hard work and it takes a lot of skill, practice, and, and continuous tweaking. So yeah, I mean, it's 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 uh, and my foreword for this book is written. I have two forewords, but one of them is written by. Um, one of the associate superintendents in my district who did something rather novel, which was when he was a high school principal, a huge high school, he taught a class because he wanted to get back into the classroom. And this was in 2019. So right before the pandemic. And what he writes about is how much had changed since he'd been in the classroom. He didn't know what Google classroom was or, you know, what kids were doing, the technology of how kids approach their class change and also their, their mentality and and attitudes. And this was, four years ago. So it's, it's gotten a lot more different since then. And I think we just need to remember that. I mean, I, am, I need to remember it too. I'm not in a classroom every day. And so I have the humility, I hope, to say to teachers, you are better at this right now than I am. And I believe that.
0: Oh, that is so, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's so important that certain messages are delivered and otherwise, it's all just a threat or something like this, and and that's not really, you know, it's not wise. And if the the person who's trying to, even if their intentions are good, they have to understand how to help, as opposed to go do. You know, this is the this is the word for the day, and I want you to do the word for the day. And I'm not going to provide you any training in it because I'm not quite sure what it means. And uh, you know, what's funny, one of the things you made me think of was uh, just the changes in technology. You know, because there's a period of time where uh, if you are, have been around long enough, you know, it's uh, you go from um, no email to email to pagers, <laughs> pagers to these really wild telephones that were big, and, but the kids became masters of them. Um, then something called a BlackBerry, <laughs> you know, that the kids became awesome at, being able to not even look at and just – Blah, 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 manufacture whatever sentences. And then suddenly we're into this world of massive texting and all kinds of stuff. So if you just look at that stuff and forget email, because then by the time you talk about email, it's like, you know, now you're getting 3,000 of them a day. <laughs> so just to-
1: well, And we're also dealing with what's probably, you know, maybe arguably one of the biggest mental health crises that we've encountered in recent history for kids. We're dealing with um, children who are acting in a way that we can't yet explain. Right. We don't yet know why. So, you know, if, if I haven't been in the classroom during any of that, I really can't speak as well to what's happening.
0: Point well taken. Well made point. The, uh, um, one of the things uh, I, I got to tell you, because um, it's difficult because I could really spend, There's you have awesome information and stories in each of these chapters, um, but I did have to choose my favorite because mm-hmm. I can do that. All right. Okay. <laughs> Uh, and one of my favorite chapters is chapter six, Preventing Fires. On page 127, you comment, the life of secondary leaders often lacks balance. Could you put this statement in context with the chapter? Because this is so right on the money. It's yes. Yes. <laughs>
1: I mean, there used to be a radio show at my, in my hometown, which was Indianapolis, and they ran a segment called Mr. Obvious, where they would just say like really obvious things. Nice. And I feel like that statement's super obvious, like that secondary leaders don't have balance. But this this is the thing that I do think that teachers don't understand sometimes is how they never go home. I mean, you could be at school for these insanely long shifts. You might get there at six. You might leave at nine that night. And then wake up and do it all again the next morning you don't go to work to get work done you go to work to put out fires and and you know the the scenario that i picked at the very beginning of a chapter it's an assistant principal and she's she's trying to go home she's actually trying to pick up her kid and and take her kid out for ice cream because she hasn't done that in a really long time and it's a clear day things are looking good and all of a sudden just one thing after another starts to happen the principal needs something one of the radiators or or units in the classroom start smoking, you know, all these things. A the kid flips out in the hallway. This is the reality of being a secondary leader. You, you want to get into instruction. You want to do the things that are the best for kids and for teachers in the building. Your intentions are incredible. And you start the day, but you have no idea how it's going to turn out. The whole thing is, is probably going to implode in some way. And so I don't think that people appreciate that enough. And what the chapter attempts to do is to provide what strategies you can for whatever you can predict, what you can predict might happen, what could happen. And, you know, obviously taking into consideration that there's only so much you can plan for.
0: And I, I just think you, you've got, <laughs> you, you understand, because <laughs> each of your chapters has something I can point to that says, you know, boom, boom, right. You're, you know, and this one, the if you let it, the world will literally become nothing but putting out fires. <laughs> and you're like, it's like, you got to stop that. And it's got to, you got to do everything from scheduling your time and having someone who helps you protect that time. And, uh, yeah. and then people... Because unless you're of, an adrenaline
1: junkie, <laughs> yes. which some people might be, but unless you are, you're not, you're going to burn out.
0: You got that right. That's uh, my all-time uh, favorite one is, is usually when um, someone comes in the building and they're demanding to see somebody, and so that's where you have someone who protects your time, who says, "I think this person can help you more than the principal can, or more than the assistant principal can. You know, maybe it's the department chair. Maybe it's you. Don't need the department chair. You need this person, and and uh, redirecting and helping them see who they need to, and, and, and end up being happy that way. But you end up being happy because you get to finish whatever it is you're trying to do. I I, I, I always wonder about my because um, I was secondary my whole career and i always felt for my colleagues who are in elementary school who you know the kids are eating at 10 a.m their lunch you know and uh and so it's like because in the high school i had to eat at 10 30 in order to keep me from eating at 2 30 <laughs> um, so because you had to be in the cafeteria and all that sort of stuff well if the kids are eating at 10 o'clock you know yeah i just drove in and now i'm gonna have my breakfast and uh, then i'm gonna have my lunch and then i'm gonna go in the cafeteria i don't
1: you know yeah, I try to explain this to um, to to lay people on the out the people on the outside why it is that I want lunch at ten forty five every morning, like how that got trained into me from a very young age. There you go. Like we just you, and, and you know my students are pulling out their lunches at nine o'clock in the morning because it's there and they're hungry. It's just a very different life. It is. Isn't it? <laughs> I don't think anyone gets it, and like I, I, I'm always made fun of by people in my family because I like to have dinner at like four. <laughs> I never got out of the habit of being hungry because.
0: Nice. You eat when
1: you can.
0: Exactly, the timetables work that way. It's like, yes, yeah. so it's, we've got to do that. It, just as a note, one of the things that gets burned into you as a high school person is uh, the feeling to be in the hallway. I need to. I need to be in the hallway for some reason. And anyway, sorry, I'll, I digress. No, no, it's true. You need to be in the hallway because if you're not in the hallway,
1: things happen.
0: Yes, exactly. It's like, but you should have those feelings for the rest of your life. You know, it's like stop. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, so one of the things you get into is you talk about the importance of listening. Let's talk about that.
1: It's funny how we we say things like, I'm a good listener. If we have a friend who likes to talk to us and we help them and we help them work through things, I don't think many of us are good listeners. I think most of us aren't. Um, And it's because we have opinions about what should happen. And so we surround ourselves with yes people. And, you know, I, I, I used to hear people say things like this. Like I had a former, a former boss who would say, you know, I'm interviewing people who match the culture of our school. And it took me years to break that down because it always just kept coming back into my brain, like the culture of our school. And I understood what this person meant, but with, what the translation was a person who's going to fit in with the people who are already here. So we don't want people who push back. We don't want people who have different perspectives, who are going to make our lives a little more challenging. For the most part, we want people who are like us. And when we're having a conversation, even if we are being silent, and in the book I have an example of somebody who's taking notes and really looks like they're listening, but what's going on in this person's brain the whole time is their own, yeah, 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 and here's what I'm going to do. So we really have to fight actively, and I provide strategies for this, the urge in us that tells us to just immediately disregard everything but what we think is a good idea, and that's hard for most of us to do. We're not wired like that. We're wired to really listen to our own voices. And that's why there's a whole chapter dedicated to active versus passive listening. And, you know, how do we employ, as as administrators, how would we employ wait time strategies? They're not just for the classroom. Those kinds of ideas.
0: And I, I love this chat. I, I love this when you get into this conversation because you cannot be an adult human being without at some point i don't care what world you're in somebody telling you you know you need to get better at listening what you know um, yeah, what did and, you say yeah exactly and <laughs> yeah. it. it's like, and it and it's <gasps> one of those things especially in our world that we have multiple audiences so if if you're the if you're the teacher are you listening to your colleagues are you really listening to your next door neighbor are you really listening and i'm talking about like next door into school? And uh, are you listening to your department chair? Are you listening at your meetings? Oh, how about the kids? Are you listening to the child who wants to tell you about the story they've written about the elves and the orcs and all those sorts of things that they, they created? Because uh, they really like Lord of the Rings. And it's like the 12th time that day they found you and told started telling you the next chapter or something like this. Are you listening to them? Or are you like, yeah, yeah, kid, get away from me. You bother me. And
1: I remember uh, like an old school lecture style professor type person starting a class with the reason I'm standing up here and you're sitting there is that I know more than you do. Nice. (laughs) And okay. Maybe about the subject. Good for you. I don't know. Maybe, but uh, what a perspective. And I, and I sometimes think that, you know, again, like the more we get promoted, the higher our positions are, we get that sort of inner, even if we would never say it out loud, even if we know enough to think that's not a good thought. I'm here for a reason, and you're not. Mm, but that is exactly what's preventing you from making any progress in your own practice and from learning anything new. Because then, again, like going all the way back to what we were talking about in the beginning of this, once you think you have it figured out, you're probably doing a very bad job.
0: Oh, that's so right. <laughs> God, that's so right. You know, it's the practice of really listening has so many different levels to it, and. You know, it's funny because people know when you really are listening to them. And uh, one of my favorite lessons, favorite, I don't know, stories is better, Um, but it has to do with my own learning is when one of the things I learned was instead of fighting fire with fire was to step back, create some rules that said things like, if you don't yell, I don't yell. (laughs) I will not be yelling, so please don't yell and don't use profanity, and we're good. And I'll sit here and listen, and that would surprise people who are angry because they're expecting you to jump back at them and interrupt them and stuff like this. And and uh, I think too often we get in these discussions where we're constantly interrupting each other because we're thinking of the next thing to say, and it's unfortunate because that doesn't uh, doesn't bode well because somewhere in there is probably the important information we need and we missed it. But I yeah, pretty much. Great chapter. Great, great information. Thank there. you. Uh, toward the end of Lead Like a Teacher, you say this, the hard part for leaders is not building their toolboxes. The challenge is matching what they know to the situations in which they find themselves. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> this is so cool. So explain what you mean.
1: So I'll make a teaching analogy for a second. I might have five classes, and I won't use the same strategies with all five because the kids are different they have different needs and so even if i'm doing like if i'm doing a reading activity in one class and i might pick a different reading activity to do in the next class just based on on what i know i think that part of being skillful in our jobs is matching what we know to the people that we're working with and i don't mean lowering expectations i don't mean changing the nature of what we expect or, or standards or any of that what i mean is having the awareness to understand what's in your building so if i am for example an assistant principal and i'm organizing a professional development that involves teachers doing some sort of differentiation process am i going to plan it on my own or am i going to think wow there are some teachers in this building who do this really well I'm going to talk to them and figure out what works for our, our whole population or our different departments, what's the best way to approach it, how can I make sure people are really buying into this and that it feels like they're doing with me, not it's not being done to them, it's being done with them. Um, it, it's really about knowing what's there and understanding it so that you can really get the best out of every opportunity that you're providing. Um, and that takes, that takes discernment, and again, that takes awareness.
0: It's so awesome. It's, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, it makes me think about is that, uh, you know, I guess the, the easiest way to, to say this is that it's easy to get caught up in the thing that, uh, you know, I use this, that, that you wrote uh, toolbox. So let's use a toolbox for a second. There are universal tools that have these different switchable um, heads on them and all this sort of stuff. And I think we get to thinking after a while that if it works there, then it must work here and therefore why aren't you responding to me the same way as <laughs> as uh, Steve did over here and uh, now i've got uh, um Stefan over here and why why aren't you guys the same way you know it's it's not working um and I, or if they even recognize that it's not working i mean it, i i think that's so powerful to to talk about this this is why i love the, your book i it has two very distinct audiences that i think often um Don't get any sorts of training like this, which is, um, or even any thoughts about it, is how to interact with each other. And instead, we just come out either thinking we know it or knowing we know it (laughs) and just making whatever mistakes we make. And hopefully we learn from it. And if not, uh, you know, (laughs) I'll survive. We'll move on (laughs) or something like that. Yeah, I think that was
1: one of the things because I sit in a job where I, I literally sit between these two groups of people and watch them interact. It's like, okay, well, we we could be changing just a few things. And that that's really the spirit in which this
0: was written. Oh, it's the spirit's well taken because it's like, uh, you know, you, you look from afar and, or you look from a close closeness and you're kind of like, I think I could help here. I, you know, I just, uh, just so important and so powerful. I mean, you've you've written a gem here, uh, and I got to make sure I say this: you, you have another book coming out later this year, which we mentioned in the beginning, and not realizing that you had another book coming up after that one. Um, so the the one that's coming up immediately is called "Writing um, Their Future Selves: Instructional Strategies to Affirm Student Identity." So, give us a commercial. What's that going to be all about? <laughs>
1: So this one I, I may have mentioned at the beginning. This is this is the closest to my heart. This is about this was built on an idea that I started in Teach More, Hoverless, Less, which is that we talk a lot about building relationships with kids, and that is so incredibly important. But we often build the wrong relationships, or we don't go far enough. Kids will not grow as learners, as scholars, as thinkers unless they believe that we feel that they are valid as, as learners in an academic space. We have to validate what I call academic identity. And so we have kids who think very badly of themselves, who have given into myths and, and stereotypes and tropes about themselves. And across all content areas, I share writing strategies and I have teachers in every chapter in content areas like physics and music and phys ed who are sharing their writing strategies for how they get kids to open up and really believe in themselves and what they can do, not just to build their identity in school, but, but in the years beyond. And so because I taught writing for so many years, this one really, it got me. And it was also like, it, it leading, lead, lead like a teacher, I, I'm glad that you loved it because it was the hardest one for me to write. I think probably because you know it was hardest for me to put myself into that perspective sometimes. But for writing their future selves, it it almost wrote itself. I don't think that's going to happen to me again anytime soon. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that's cool. the uh, not that it's not going to happen again. That's uh, I said that too late.
1: <laughs> the right, no, the writing itself part. I'm writing more books. It's just that this one was it, it. It was it was a joy to write.
0: Nice. That is awesome. That's very cool. So, well, wish you the best with that. And you got to give me a holler when it's ready because I'd love to have you back on the show when you talk about oh. it. And just as a note, You I, are on. Uh, cool. I, I got to tell you that. Uh, you know, one of the things I love about Lead Like a Teacher, though, is that uh, that is my, it's always been my, kind of my world, which is um, when she, as a teacher and then teacher going into administration and then administration um, going from lower level administrator to higher. And uh, you you have to remind yourself, you have to keep remembering why you're there, not that this thing over here is just important or this piece of paper or something like that. Because otherwise, everything, uh, otherwise, you just totally forget. Now, going back to what we talked about at the beginning, that we had this shared purpose, which is all about the kids. And, but there's so many other things out there pulling you different directions that it's like, I could see why some colleagues would go, Why don't you know how to do differentiation? Just, you know, just do it. <laughs> yeah, but. Uh, it's not that simple. No, not that simple at all. <laughs> anyway, um, this. This has been a great talk. Miriam, if someone wanted to follow up and connect with you and or learn more, where would you send them?
1: My well, whole website. It's my first and last name, Miriamplotinsky.com. com. And there's a contact form on there. There's also a space where if you want PD, you can click on that link so you can go a couple different avenues. I also load a lot of resources on there articles, podcasts, conference stuff that I do. I give it all out because I like to share the, the knowledge. And then social media wise, I'm probably the most functional on but I hope will remain, maybe, I don't know if I hope it will remain, Twitter, um, <laughs> it's at Mirplow, mcps, and I'm very responsive on that as well. I just updated my bio this morning to share. I now have two publishers and not just one, so it's it's always being updated.
0: Very nice, very nice. Well, good stuff. I will have all that information in my show notes, so it's easy to find for the uh, listeners as well. And I got one last question for you, and the last question it's just something I like to ask my guests. So how do you keep going when so much is going on that you may want to quit?
1: I think I'm going to go back to, to what I said before, which is that we have to remain grounded in why we we got into this. And for me, it's always been about the kids. Um, part of what moved me to write my next book is the kids who don't feel seen. You know, uh, they are misattributed as being quiet or unengaged or, all sorts of other horrible, worse things to say about them um, that aren't true. And, and I just try to be there for them and to think about what they're going through and, and to keep the focus where it belongs, which is not on the politics, not on the all the stuff that I get into in this book. It, it's a byproduct of working in a school, but the most important thing is, is how they're doing. And that's a big thing. I do believe also, I believe in public education, I believe in fighting for public education. I think we're in more of a fight now than we've been for a long time. And that, that keeps me where I am. Um, it's meaningful. I see the impact and, and that's really all there is to it.
0: That's so awesome. We have uh, a lot of people, I think they forget uh, what their purpose is. And so that allows them to give in to the feelings of overwhelm or, or burned out or something like that. And uh, thank you so much for offering that up. Good stuff. Um, you want to say something?
1: Thanks. No, I was just going to say, I'm not going to knock the people who feel that way because I get it. Um, okay. Everyone's different. So I feel bad that a lot of people are in that space and I wish that were different. I wish that we were handling it differently as a country.
0: Understand. Understand. Well, I appreciate it. Great, uh, great thoughts there. Hey, Miriam, thanks so much for talking with me. Your book, Lead Like a Teacher, How to Elevate Expertise in Your School is awesome. I must read, for all wanting to be effective in a leadership role in a school, I uh, can't say enough about it. Wishing you success in everything you do.
1: Thank you. Thanks so much for having me on, and, and thanks for all the, all the glows. I always appreciate
0: that. Hey, you have been listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast to help you help kids achieve their dreams. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is a member of the Education Podcast Network, podcasts for educators, Podcast by educators. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is a member of the podcast network based in Canada called Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and host. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Hey, thanks for listening. It would be awesome if you visited my website at stephenmuleto.com and connected with me, left a review, and listened to more episodes. And by the way, you could also share it with your friends, with your family, and uh, your colleagues. Thanks so much, you're awesome.